Hi, and welcome to the Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about, I don't know if the word innovation is right here, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, changes in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. Uh, The New York Times ran an article headlined, Why Some Companies Are Saying Diversity and Belonging Instead of Diversity and Inclusion. (sighs) Um, I want to note that they're even dropping the E here. They're losing the equity part, which I think is actually the most important part. Um, uh, But this is a huge topic. Obviously, it's something I think about, write about, work in uh, all the time. But first, Sarah, what are you eating and what's eating you? Two in one for once. Uh, I went to Sam's to get my prescriptions filled. $40 to stay sane for three months. Unbelievable bargain. (laughs) Uh, and I, as I always do get the combo, the hot dog soda combo, which Mm -hmm. I am obsessed with on, from like an economic perspective. Uh, and, uh, I can, (laughs) so I, I, in my former life, Matthew Goodman, you don't know that I used to sell restaurant equipment. And so I am obsessed with how cheap and bare bones their setup is relative to their menu and what they can offer. And just the margins there must be insane. Mm-hmm. So congrats to whoever came up with that. What about you? What are you eating and what's eating you? So uh, what I'm eating is uh, for Mother's Day, uh, my mom and I uh, had gotten a, uh, a three-pack of <laughs> from Metal Honey. It was Vernal Elixir, um, uh, Sweet Stinger, and uh, Scorpion Honey. Thank and, you for that. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, thank you. So... <laughs> We made something to like honor my dad. I know it was Mother's Day, but one of my dad's only things he could cook was matzo brai, <laughs> which is, for those of you non-Jews out there, is often quite tasteless. Uh, it's <laughs> often just kind of like like unseasoned eggs with like matzah and, and like gross. But this was a recipe from the New York Times that uh, called for hot honey. And we're like, oh my God, this is the perfect opportunity for us to use uh, the metal honey uh, sample pack. And I have to say... It was fantastic. I usually hate matzo brai. I freaking loved it. Uh, I used Sweet Stinger, and it was the best thing I had had in a long time. So, I'm Sarah, so glad. thank that, you. That makes me really happy. That stuff is like, that's that life-affirming shit. You know what I mean? Exactly. And um, what's eating me? <laughs> there are many, many things uh, that, that, that are eating me, but we're actually, that's the main topic for this week. It's this yeah. pivot to diversity and belonging. And I think the important thing um, that we're seeing in that, that we, it's good that we see a shift to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And for people who don't know, this is a term uh, often in uh, corporate spaces uh, about things that used to be called like, you know, diversity initiatives, uh, quote unquote, affirmative action initiatives, but it's ways to try to get in theory workplaces (laughs) workplaces with more diversity of all kinds and that will accommodate the needs of a multiplicity of employees instead of just a specific overwhelming group um the thing so have you ever been to one of these uh actually have you ever been involved with a diversity initiative in a in a workplace uh, I sat in on uh, a bunch of meetings that some that were required and some that were voluntary at a couple different corporate offices. And, you know, 
as you might expect, like they, uh, they, you know, these issues are really, really complicated and they are very, very different on an intersectional, like, this is the whole point is like just DEI itself, like requires a kind of capacity for like, uh, abstract thinking that like Mm -hmm. some people simply do not have. Right. So like there are so many entry points of what actually it truly means like and what is possible right like so a lot of these dei initiatives come at it from that like big thirty thousand foot perspective and like really what you want is for ron to stop saying slurs you know like ron in sales to stop saying slurs please Mm -hmm. you know that's i i think that's a really good point that um i I, you're describing a lot of like classic uh, D, uh, like diversity uh, trainings. Usually it's a person of color up in a room, like giving a lecture, like running through the statistics or whatever like that. Um, a great example of this is I was at a, a conference for judicial educators a couple years ago and their speaker on diversity. Yes, they had a specific like hour long thing just on diversity. Um, and it was a very attractive, very well-dressed, charismatic black guy a uh, former uh, former pastor um, yep. giving a really upbeat, entertaining presentation, yeah, uh, and then challenging the people there to do like the seven day or the twenty eight day challenge, which is like read like w- like listening to a piece of music or reading an article by a person of color during that time, uh. and these and I have to say. I'm going to give the upsides here. The people really enjoyed it. The audience, which was mostly white, as you can imagine, older, whiter judicial educators, you can imagine, they ate it up. People were definitely vibing with this guy. The problem is this shit doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Like this is, this is the reason that this is always so difficult to like actually enforce across the board is that like exactly what you say, like some of these people are using the word colored to describe dark skinned people today in 2023, right? Like how are you going to get that person to come all the way over to like literally things like how redlining affects, you know what I mean? Like how Mm -hmm. it affects like generational wealth building, et cetera, et cetera. That like, whatever uh and then on the flip side like what what like meanwhile like everyone who's coming into the profession right so millennials mm-hmm. gen z like they have a pretty updated perspective on this and they want to see real equity being brought yes. to the table right like they want they want to the, the real thing they yes. want the real thing meanwhile you're trying to get usually the people at the top to come down to like you know barely 101 right they need yeah. to take the remedials to even get into the the freshman course yeah like like at you know at one law firm don't keep a spreadsheet older male partners of all the female interns and new associates you've slept with right exactly right so you know the mismatch here that the big thing is that true equity right which i think is the most important word here is equity it does make demands of power it yes. does Right. And this has, oh, as you can imagine, historically made groups in power or individuals in power. I'm just going to talk about individuals in power uh, hesitant to embrace. Yeah. So the kind of trainings like the like the ones we, we've been talking about, they make 
white people in particular, very jazzed. They feel great about it. Look at me doing this good thing. I read this poem by Maya Angelou. I listened to like the black eyed peas go me, right? <laughs> I wish that everybody could see you laughing right now. It's fantastic. The black eyed the fact that you your that your punchline was black eyed peas really, really knocked me yeah. really knocked me off guard. Yeah, I uh select them very specifically. <laughs> Uh, fun, fun fact, uh, um, they, uh, what's the song? I I can't even think of like the song because they all run together and like one just like stream of noise in my brain, but the song where they have Mazel Tov and Laheim, they wanted that to be specifically licensed to people, uh, for, um, uh, bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs Mm -hmm. and, the original of Let's Get It Started was the lyrics were Let's Get Retarded. Yep. And the NBA wanted to license it and they said, Can you just um can you go back and make it just anything but uh retarded? Yeah. <laughs> and they said, Yeah, sure, no problem. So like when we talk about people who set out to sell their music and you know, God bless them, like, you know, they're listen, we all have bills and the music industry is fucking horrible, but like, god damn it, of all the people. Yep. <laughs> Exactly. And you can see how this doesn't work. Yeah. Right. It, that... it never it's it's it still centers the feelings of mm-hmm. white people at the top. Yeah. And, and like, let me be honest, the feelings of white people at the top do matter to the extent that they to some level hold the keys to the kingdom. Right. Right. Um, however, if the entirety of the approach is only suggesting things that will be inoffensive to that group, that will not demand sacrifice, change, anything major from that group, you're obviously not going to really make the kind of change that we're looking for. You're not going to reach the kind of equity that we want. Yeah. And this is why I, some of you might ask, what happened to the D and the I? What happened to the B? What happened to diversity, inclusion, and belonging? The thing is, is that those are all kind of tools to get to the E, yeah. That diversity in and of itself is not the goal. And I know that sounds weird to some people, but the reason is that diversity itself doesn't necessarily mean just because you have different people, different people in a room that you're going to magically wind up with all of them being treated fairly and equally. Right. Right. Especially because you can imagine being in, in a room with your boss. Maybe it's all a room, but he can just fire anyone who disagrees with him. Like, Correct. <laughs> you're, you're not going to wind up in a situation where you're actually accomplishing anything. Yeah. And inclusion, again, in, uh, inclusion and belonging, again, you can't get to them without equity. Because let's be clear, you don't feel like you belong or you're included if you know your boss is going to fire you if you say something. Yeah. that he disagrees with meanwhile you know chad over there can like you know show up eight hours late to work and the boss is like good job chad keep it up um you're not going to get to those things uh if you're if you're not getting uh not in an equal fair just <laughs> environment yeah so and that, yeah. i was gonna say and and with regard to the you know the sort of top layer of power you know, CEOs suffer from the same sort of yes man syndrome, like mm-hmm. the way that your brain just gets melted because you have so much power and no one's going to say like, hey, maybe not a good idea. Right. Like why the often you find that the only people who end up being in, in sort of advisory roles to uh, CEOs is other CEOs from other companies, because like, you know, you, now you have a group of people from 
as anyone would be a layer under you saying like not good enough or whatever. And if you're like one of these old white men, that's just like, Oh, everything's so PC all the time. Right. Like mm-hmm. you're already so burdened by the <laughs> most basic asks of this movement. Right. Then, you know, when you actually look at, I mean, a lot of these just remind me of like, going on a hike right and there's a a part where it is all fucking hills and it's just hills and ladders and hills and ladders Mm -hmm. and you get to the top and you're like oh that was a fourth of it like Mm -hmm. just getting these people like i said up to like the starting line is like dragging an anvil right up like an uphill climb and and then it's like great now we only have 40 more miles on the trail (laughs) exactly um they have literally managed to drive to the start of the marathon and now they're done yep <laughs> yeah they're like wow that was really hard yeah that and oh man i'm, I'm happy we did that <laughs> <laughs> i remember so i've probably told this story on the podcast before but uh i worked in a company that um had you know very much like the office it was like there was a warehouse department and we had like an on-premise warehouse. And then we had the upstairs, which was like sales accounting, of course, like it always is. Literally a two-tiered system. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they had us, at some point, you ha- you all have to watch the same like training video for just like company-wide policy, whatever. And they were so proud of themselves because they had taken a lot of the white characters' names who all, like all the characters in this like hypothetical video used to be like, Tom and Chris and like Mary and they made one of them like Carlos and Tyrone. And like, they were like, yeah, we really changed. Like that was like, that was a big, they're like, be the change you want in the world. (laughs) Literally. That was their Gandhi moment. Like they were just like, yeah, no big deal. Like, but you know, the ironic thing was of course that like they ended up concentrating a lot of the quote unquote ethnic names when they were doing (sighs) hypothetical role play about the warehouse workers. And it was like so close, so close, you guys, so close to getting on the, on the start line. Yeah. (laughs) I remember there was, uh, there's one LSAT uh, question. There's one LSAT game because they assign different uh, names to people and they all have to start with different letters so that they're easy to sketch out because you don't want like Alice, Andrew, and you know, yeah. you just want, you know, like Andrew, Beatrice, and like Car- and Carlos, right? Yeah. So you have A, B, and C instead of A, A, A. But the problem is when they use things like Y and Z, they're always getting like Asian names. <laughs> it's like Yao and Zhao, and I'm just like, or Ying, and it's just like, you only have to go, like, you only reach for those, for the, the for the X, Y, and Z, but, like, A is always going to be, like, you know, Abby or something like that. Right. I was going to say, and also, Yvonne, Yvette, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, let's go French. We can go Eve, oh, right? We yeah. can we can go with the Xander. Uh, we can go with the Xavier. Listen, I, mean, I got this all yeah, day. I was going to say, you got this, all, you got this down, uh, you know, hear that LSAC. <laughs> You need, to, you need to call Sarah so she can help fix your fucking games. Um, but here's an exercise. It's funny. They describe one of the exercises um, that, a, that a belongings consultant does. She is a she uh, is African-American and a comedian and yep. a former media personality. What there screams to you, this person is an expert on DEI <laughs> or belonging. Uh, I mean, not a lot. I mean, what, I shouldn't. But what does her training make her uniquely good at? 
I mean, making people laugh, right? Yeah. Like making entertaining, right? So mm-hmm. she's an entertainer at the end of the day. Let, and me, what I was yeah, gonna let s- me be very clear. Yeah. That's what they're really looking for. Yeah. And, and I, and I do want to say like, of course I don't, I'm, you and I both just need to say that we are not invalidating what I'm sure was like plenty of racist experiences for this, this performer. Right. Like, no, of not course, at all. but like, you know, again, we go back to intersectionality and like being attractive, like, you know, and being, you know, funny and like being able to put people at ease, like just makes you a little bit more successful generally, you know? But the thing is that they had a quote unquote leadership summit. She is the keynote speaker. Great. Right. So this isn't a researcher on bias. This isn't a, a, a civil rights activist. This is a comedian and media personality. Right. So I want to make this very, very clear. The key is to, for in this case, have something fun and entertaining. And this yep. is what I experienced too. It was fun. It was entertaining. And it drove me insane because I knew it was a complete waste of time and money. Right? Exactly. That it's a lot cheaper to hire a speaker for 10 grand to make all your people feel jazzed up and excited about diversity and then... And then have them ask nothing of them during the rest of the year, yeah. right? So this is the exercise they did at the beginning. And I want to note, it, it sounds on its surface similar to an exercise I do. So I want to I read the description and then we can go through it. So shortly after taking the stage, the speaker asked everyone to close their eyes and raise their hands in response to a series of questions. Had they ever locked the door when a black man walked by? Had they thought, yes, Jewish people really are good with money? Had they questioned the intelligence of someone with a thick Southern accent. People raised their hands tentatively, even fearfully. By the time Miss Foster finished, nearly every hand, including her own, was up. Quote, Congratulations, you're certified human beings. It's not about being right or wrong, but understanding when bias comes into play. And this is what one of the people uh, in the audience said. Um, Quote, I was at a table with someone who started the whole thing with his arms folded. His body language said this dude's not a believer. Halfway through, he's laughing and clapping. Okay. So what do you, so you you have a background in performance. We do media. What is good about this? Like what strengths do you hear? Well, I do like that it is getting people who are disengaged to engage. That's always positive, right? Uh, You know, do I love that uh, Fifty Shades of Grey got gave people a lot of people a super wrong concept of uh, bondage and domination? Absolutely. Am I glad that some housewives somewhere are exploring some of their kinks in a healthy way? Yeah, definitely. And in the same way, like I'm really glad that this guy was engaged, right? But like, as I do with with feminism, the the <sighs> It's people who think X group of people are people and people who don't think they're people, right? Like mm-hmm. that, none of that exercise changed that man's mind about like the overall value of people of color. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. What? And so I think that's a really good point that this is, I'm happy that there are multiple types of potential uh, uh, areas of bias here, right? Yeah. From religious um, to uh, uh, accent or dialect, um, to race. That's great. But I'm going to say, if someone is laughing and clapping 
during one of my DEI presentations. Something has gone hideously wrong. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just the way you phrase it is really yeah. funny. <laughs> that I have been told, but I have I was told by a judge from rural Iowa that uh, the one of my presentations was the first time in a diversity training he didn't feel attacked personally. That's important. Yeah. However, he was also in a deep sense of contemplation. And the thing he asked me afterwards was, what changes do I need to make in my courtroom and in my hiring procedures to get more uh, 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 people of color to apply for my clerkship? There we go. Right? So note the difference here. That this guy is just like, yeah, we're having a good time. I am part yeah. of the conversation. And this is important. The The goal was to, to, to help people, quote, feel okay with themselves. Like maybe you haven't been an activist or on this journey in your past. Right? Uh, but let's see how we can move forward. Let's make them feel like they're part, uh, and quote, she helped them make them feel like they are belonged in the conversation. Yeah. But again, the problem is not the conversation. I want to be very clear. The point is concrete, discrete yes. steps to allay these structural inequities. It is not, we need to talk in our workplace more about these issues. The yeah. talk is a necessary function to get yeah. to this next step. But if the people are not coming out looking at every single part of their process, or at least with a roadmap of saying, I need to look at these eight areas in my department and analyze whether or not, and talk to all the people in my department to see how we can improve it to get better outcomes. Yes. yes. Right? Like, like, like getting down to a detail of what questions do I need to change on mm -hmm. my application, right? Like you need to come away from these things with like kind of a concrete, a, a concrete to-do list, right? Like not like a, um, like what drives me, the reason that I covered my face and reacted the way I did is like to start the presentation off with permission for microaggressions and bias yes. is like, fucking shoot me in the goddamn yeah. head. You yeah. know what I mean? Let's be very clear here too. By I think this is this is excellent because this is really insightful. It's something I wanted to pivot to. What she is doing is naming stereotypes. Yes. Right? Without actually providing the mechanism of understanding where they come from. Yes. Right? Thank you. And to recognize those ones are obvious, but to recognize ones that bubble up in our judgment that are less obvious to us right and this is effortful i want to note here another problem is uh something that's called more do you know what moral accounting is uh no i mean i've, yeah. I've probably heard yeah. you know a, a in context i probably know it but please define yeah. it for us so let's say you go to the gym getting a yeah. good workout and on your way back home you walk past a donut shop yeah what might you think to yourself having just worked ah. out Ah, yes. Right. So, so, you know, in, in the same way that you would get a donut because you've quote unquote earned it, right? Like if you hire X number of black employees, uh, then it's fine that you personally carry, yeah. you know, uh, uh, racial bias, right? Actually, it tends to be worse than that. Great. It's that I have attended all of these, like have these trainings and I've had co hard conversations about it. So then I don't have to hire black people. Oh, no. Right? And it doesn't come out consciously. You're not consciously, you're not consciously saying to yourself, oh, I'm going to be, I am free to be biased now that I've done this other work. But moral accounting is what we call, what um, 
cognitive linguistics calls a schema. Like it's a way to organize different ideas and it utilizes what's called the ledger schema. And this is something, you know, as a business person, you have costs, you have income, and you're trying to be in the black, right? And note it's two directional. If you're up, you're in the black, you have more money. So when you do the, the, the hard work and you, you have those hard conversations, you read your Maya Angelou, uh, you listen to the black eyed piece, right? <laughs> now you're in the black. So when you sit down to figure out who gets a promotion, you're just like, oh man, that Chad really reminds me of me when I was his age. Like if he got the same opportunity, I think he'd really run with it. And you know, like, um, I really love, um, uh, I really love, um, I don't know, like, um, Zhao, <laughs> but yeah. like, I don't know if she's a good cultural fit for the position. Like I see some things there. Right. And note that none of this is, you're never referencing back to yourself. Like, wow, I, I, I read my Maya Angelou. I went to this talk, but because you got pumped, you think you've done the work. I was just going to say, this is, you took the words out of my brain, which is, this is what allows people to come mm-hmm. at like an all white pool of, you know, CFO candidates and say like, well, you know, we were judging on individuals and like, we were judging yes. on, you know, individual ability. And like, you know, because I've read my Maya Angelou, because <laughs> I've, you know, listened to the black eyed peas, I'm sticking with this. I love it so much yes. uh, because I've listened to where is the love 400 times <laughs> on a loop. Uh, it's fine that yeah. the group of people that I just happened to end up with is five white men, yeah, you know? exactly. Like, I donated to Obama. I, I shook hands <laughs> with Oprah. Like, how dare you? Um, yeah, this is just this is just a, you know, a cultural, a work culture level of your black friend, right? Like, I, one of my best friends is black, right? Like, so this is fine. Yes. And this... <laughs> And this is where I think that, like, they're confusing the act, like, what these consultants, who I think are well-meaning, like, yeah. the consultant here says that as a practical matter, there'll be no equity if the people in power, the straight white males, feel excluded from the conversation, right? And I agree with this on a surface level, but what she is providing on, a, and this is, again, I think she means well here. But what she's actually providing is cover. Yes. Yes. Right. She's providing the donut. Yeah. And what we know about businesses is that they don't want people in power. They will not give up things that they have if they don't have to. So this is a way to try to placate and signal that they care without actually making any substantive sacrifice, without actually giving anything up. There's, um, this is going to seem off track, but please stick with me. There's a group of four white kids, kids, they're probably 25, but on Instagram and they do this sketch about, uh, like middle-aged white managers and they, what they do is they all dress in the same khakis and puffy vest and like shirt and you can, and they're, they act like lemmings. The whole sketch (laughs) is that like they, they pass each other. Hey, how you doing? But they're, you can tell they're not actually looking at each other's eyes and they do the same handshake and like, they're just uh lemmings right they're automatons Mm -hmm. and that's like the joke right and i think for a lot of these guys when we're talking about pulling them up to the starting line it's like engaging it's Mm -hmm. like having to be anything but a golf swinging automaton right (laughs) like it's not we're we're not even getting to like this person is a real person and they have things to add to this conversation it's hey 
hey, yep. there are there are people here. We need you to engage with these people rather than systems of power. <laughs> and engaging with systems of power sucks. Yeah. Let's, let's just be straightforward. Because often the people you're asking to change the system of power are the people who have benefited from them. Always. Right? Um, and this is... Um, from Then there are comments. This is in the New York Times. I think the comments here, I usually don't read them, but the New York Times does actually a decent job curating them. Yeah. Right? And um, and, off, and it's interesting to me because these are generally going to be the most liberal, right, people, progressive people you're going to see. And there's one person who was complaining that they tried to do – get more diversity hires – but when, as a hiring manager, they asked for the diverse the the applications from the diverse candidates, there weren't any. Because note here, what they're saying is, we have this goal: resumes come in, applications come in, we do everything else as normal, and now we're just going to try to pick out and elevate the, the 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 minority candidates who come in, while. Someone like me, I would have to say, would say you need before you go through this process, you need to re-examine your entire recruitment and hiring practices and your culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like there's a, a uh, there's this again. I'm so sorry to keep re- referencing like sketches on social media, but I think that they're so much more illustrative of like mm-hmm. you know than you could read a, a million you know Butler essays, yeah. right? But like. <laughs> You know, this woman makes the joke about like um, asking before she goes anywhere if there are other black people in there. And she's like, wait, we in there? Like, right. Like, there's just like a little bit of like, hey, hey, are we in there? Like, Mm -hmm. is this for me? Like, do I how how much code switching, how much energy am I about to expend code switching for the comfort of white people? Right. Like, that's the question. Yeah, exactly. And and it's like this, this, this. marginalized groups of people know all of the dog whistles like they can read it in your application language in your right like in the same way like i'm not i'm a white person right but i can tell from the application process if it's going to be like a sexist nightmare in there Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like and that's a really good point because you do get signals yeah right you do get signals um and then also like Let's say you're only soli- you're soliciting applications from X number of colleges and universities, and you're recruiting from certain fraternities, uh, social groups. You're recruiting through family, friends, right? If you don't look like, are you doing sufficient recruiting at um, you know historically black colleges and universities? Yes. Are you doing recruitment through Balsa and Lalsa? Are you doing through? Uh, are you doing your recruitment through affinity groups who might be able yes. to get you in touch with students you w- with uh, with applicants you wouldn't ordinarily see? Are your recruiters people of color? Is your interview team diverse? Are the is the decision making group also reflective of that? Because yes. you might have minority candidates come in, but if you have ten people on your bo- on your uh, on your hiring committee and eight of them are 50 to 70 year old white dudes, right? You're going to wind up with a really weird pool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, I just want to be like astoundingly clear here. I'm not saying like, Oh wow. You know, like, Oh, we need to fire all the white people from these positions. 
But I'm going to be straightforward and say, this does mean that there are some people who might have in the past, due to structural inequities, gotten positions of power who will no longer be in those positions of power. That's the nature of actual equity. Yeah. Right? And the, and that's the only sustainable future. I just want to say, like, if, you know, you see all the time when people realize the sort of scale of the structural accountability that's going to be necessary to change their culture, and they're like, ooh, maybe we can hold off for a few more years. You cannot. No. Like, it's, it's now or you're going to die. Like, you know... The, the world is only becoming more diverse. Like, I forget what the age, what's the, the year that all the racists are so afraid of that white people will become the minority. But, like, it's in this century. You yeah, know what I, mean? I mean, and the thing is, is that people's relationship with race is also fluid. So, like, yes, all these things, all these categories are going to be redefined, like hat tip to the Irish and Italians out there who remember <laughs> the day. Macedonia, represent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, so... This is the this is the thing I'm going to emphasize. Like you can probably see why these sort of like feel good belonging, like let's focus on belonging because everyone wants to belong. Like I get that. Yeah. Um, like why do you like my comfort matters too? It's like okay, Chad. <laughs> um, <laughs> like Chad, you're in a hammock. Like you're fine. You're um, fine, Chad. Yeah. Yeah. It does make, but people like me, I make asks. Yeah. I say you need to make structural changes and yeah, maybe the 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 10 people on this committee who hired me as a consultant, some of you might have to leave this committee and be replaced by other people. Yep. Right? Like and this is not to say you specifically personally are a racist. I don't care about your personal bias. It's yep. relatively unimportant to me about yep. whether or not you read your Maya Angelou and, you know, you listen to your black eyed peas, yes. you know, yes. or if you have a black best friend or you voted for Dr. Ben Carson in a Republican <laughs> primary, you know, like that shit don't matter to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because like we just, you don't have the lived experiences yeah. of other people. So when someone comes to you and says, look, like, you know, my boss is, or my coworker is being really problematic in this way, right? Maybe you're not equipped. You you can't recognize the seriousness of this. And a classic example is actually going to come from a Supreme Court case. It was about a strip search of a teenage girl. Christ. Right? And a lot of the male justices were cracking jokes about it. No. Oh, no. They're like, you know, you, you take off more clothes in the locker and blah, 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 blah. But then I believe it was Sonia Sotomayor who stepped in and then described at length what it felt like to be a teenage girl and uncomfortable in your body, going through puberty, all these changes, in fr- having to do this in front of strangers, people you don't know, how invasive yeah. that is. And the male justices shut the fuck up. Good. And this is an example where, I, you know, I talk a lot about embodiment. Um, yeah. And I really try to dig down to the science of this, but like, I just want to be, make it as simple as, for people to understand is that often those types of knowledge, what is it like to inhabit the body of a teenage girl going through puberty? They're only available to people who have personally done it in that body. Correct. Right. Like 
you can think about diversity in other ways too. What is it to be a black woman in an all in in a mostly predominantly male and white space? What is it to be um, a neurodivergent, yeah. right? At a at a company a holiday party, what is it? Yeah. What is it like to be a queer person, right? Having to listen to a bunch of straight people talk about their sexual conquests or like you yes. know. These, all these things matter. All of these are axes of diversity that make a substantive difference, not just internally in the company's dis- like workings, but also how then it interacts with the rest of the world. And I think Bud Light is a great example of this. So, Sarah, w- what did Bud Light try to do to be woke? <laughs> Uh, well, supposedly, I mean, you know, I think one of the most brilliant uh, marketing strategies that's ever been hatched by anybody, but um, they hired um, Dylan Mulvaney, uh, an adorable trans woman who has um, documented her, very, very publicly documented her experience of transitioning. Mm-hmm. And um, by the way, I would take a fucking bullet for Dylan and like the amount of uh, transparency and courage that it takes to like talk about the entire experience, just like the good, bad, and ugly, is absolutely incredible. But so, of course, in 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 a in predictable fashion, because we all like you like the <laughs> you like the the spark end of a cherry bomb. You know what happens when the spark reaches the cherry part. Like, don't be stupid. Exactly. Uh, and there was a massive outcry, and of course, people, the right wing lunatics, went and protested, and you know ironically bought Bud Lights just so they could crush it in the parking lot. And it was all very, very predictable and stupid. And when they got the pushback, what did Bud Light do? Pushed harder or no. Yeah. They, I mean, for a while they tried and then they, then they walked back like, sorry, 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 everybody. Then they walked it back. This is the problem. Then they pulled it. Yeah. Right. Which by the way, uh, there was no, there was no like wide, promotion around this there was no packaging changes like the rainbow bud light case was made specifically just for dylan to do in her commercial like nothing was changing this was purely like an online by the way like bud light's gross none of dylan's fans are probably big bud light drinkers like this is all this was purely a calculated outrage you know uh, a you know outrage campaign right Mm -hmm. from bud light they knew what they were doing and the problem that Bud Light did is that they made this decision. We're going to try to be more inclusive. We're going to try to support trans rights. We're going to hire this prominent trans rights act- activist. They're expressing values here. They yep. get pushback and then they cave. Yeah. And the problem there is that no one is happy now. Yeah. Right. The right wingers say, oh, it's only just because we had outrage. There's still these woke, you know, sheep because look what they tried to do. And progressives like us who are pro-trans rights are just like yeah you never believed it at all like this is this is it was blatantly transparent at first but at the slightest pushback of this bullshit you abandon people like so now bud light is probably permanently going to experience a drop in popularity because guys yeah they are down they were down like 15 percent at first now it's more stabilized but they seem to be consistently down about three percent um, All you had to do yeah. was pick a side and stay on it, right? Like, ding, ding, ding. Yeah, and this is, and this was an example where the cost is minimal to the company. The company didn't have to change anything, yeah. Right? They don't have to change anything about Bud Light to continue to stand up for these values, right? They literally just had to be like, "We won't be bullied. 
You know, like we stand by the trans community. We did this on purpose. Like y'all will chill out and it will blow over. Yeah. It will blow over. And And because like the, you know, like the kids, the kids, the babies are increasingly identifying less, less and less identifying as straight, right? Like more than half of Gen Z identifies as some level of queer, right? Like, um, and that would have been a sustainable alignment of values for them long-term if they had stuck with it, right? Like, even if it's just like, well, there's only three kinds of shitty beer that we can buy. I'll, I'll buy the one that at least wants me and my trans friends to live. You know what I mean? Exactly. Because, you know, those kids go to college too. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> those kids need to drink shitty beer at a college party too. And, um, you know, if I were making the decision and it were like summertime and I had to make a decision for a rager, like, and I'm trans, maybe I got the one with the rainbows that, you know, that they, that they happen to support support me on people make buying decisions for ridiculous reasons uh this is one now it's just like no one wants it it's the hypocrites beer um (laughs) i ain't drinking no flip-flopper beer yeah (laughs) i ain't no flip-flopper you can see the cowardice when it involves no cost now you can imagine the reticence when it comes to actual costs and like I think that all that DEI and DEIB now, I guess, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging are going to continue to fail. This is my prediction. Like they have for the last 20 years. Yeah. Until consultants are actually willing to put out substantive asks to address the structural problems and the companies are willing to follow through with those. Yeah. Until then, it's just all window dressing. Yep. And let's just be straightforward that like, when you do window dressing, you actually do two things. First, you you fall into the trap of moral accounting, so you can actually exacerbate problems instead of addressing them. And second, you you spend resources and crowd out. It's an opportunity cost to do things that are actually effective, to do things that actually matter. Or even like... I have never once been to one of these fucking things and thought like whatever 12 grand you spent on this person, like, you know, these are companies that are always less than a hundred people. Right. Like, and it's like split that fucking money up and give a few hundred dollars just to the black employees. Right. Like, Hey, we were going to spend this money on a stupid, dumbass diversity speaker. Instead, here's some money. Take your kid out for dinner. You know what I mean? Or, you know what, you know, it doesn't cost you any money off the top. Right. And this is work that a lot of employees will do for free, just yeah. as a side thing. Do like a full relook in their free time as an extra thing. Have them like look at uh, pro- internal promotion practices, external yes. hiring practices. Make them look at how bonuses are decided. Who's interviewing whom? How are these uh, our managers' bonus things being reviewed by other people yeah. to make sure that they're fair? These sorts of things really, really really matter like one classic example of the reason why women get smaller raises is they ask for smaller raises yes so one way you can deal with that is simply to either eliminate discretion which says that like hey everyone gets this at at this level who hits these certain metrics gets this same raise yeah right or or one thing you can do is simply look at what the average ask is Yep. normalize them and then give that average ask to everyone who is asked for a raise or in line for a raise or whatever. And uh, I, I also, so 
a friend of mine, Matt, is like very, very interested in just sort of like he's a, uh, his his degree is in anthropology. He works in tech doing a, an analyst position. Um, but, you know, like just from like normal day to day conversation, it became obvious to his employers that like this is just an interest of his, which is like yeah. kind of gender neutralizing the world for like mm -hmm. better equality. Right. And they that's exactly what they asked him to do. They said, hey, you know, we've set aside this amount of money to compensate you for the time it'll take. Would you please read through our, um, you know, application stuff like all of our um, job app or um, what are they called? Job descriptions. Right. And just like help us make them gender neutral so we can attract more women. That was their goal was to attract more women to the position. Right. Yeah. And and queer people like women, trans people, queer people, just like to make it affirming and and approachable for all and uh that's exactly what he did and they ended up you know they it, they're improving right they're hiring mm -hmm. more women than ever and you know you don't my point is that you don't have to spend fifty thousand dollars on a consultant right like you can just ask maybe the five black employees that you have like to look over the shit right and like just just highlight which one of them made their like mm, spidey senses stand up you yep. know what i mean and if you don't and consultants can be useful in this in like driving those conversations right sure. and in also giving suggestions that those employees might not know exactly what they're asking for right but and maybe they don't feel uh, feel okay coming forward individually but what a consultant can do is talk to everyone, synthesize all of those things and present them in an objective way. That is what you should be spending money on, not on a gussied up motivational speaker. Bingo. Right. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm going to be a little arrogant here, but like, if you ask me to get up there in a French, in a, in a bunch of like business people and like get everyone freaking pumped, it's like, yeah, I'm not a loser. I can do this. Yeah. Like I can get people <laughs> pumped about just about anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that is a skill set that's you know yo yo party people like yeah we can we can do this but that's not ostensibly what you're hiring me for that like right. people come out energized yeah people come out you know um uh focused yeah but they're not laughing and clapping they are yeah. making lists of things they need to do they're having conversations with each other checking yeah. notes they are then hanging out with me and like you know, coming up with and brainstorming, you know, really concrete changes. Um, that is what you want them to be doing afterward, not being just like, you know what we're going to do? The next time we have a whole team activity, we're all going to go to like the Museum of Natural History and go to the Indigenous Peoples Exhibit. I was just thinking, I was just thinking, there's this horrible man that I'm not going to give any more details because it is not hard to figure out who I'm talking about. But like... He's the kind of person who would go to one of these things or has been to one of these things, thinks he's like woke and aware. And he shows that off by cornering black people and like quoting Chappelle show to them. And you're like, oh, no, 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 that's not. Mm -mm. Oh, God, that makes me no. cringe. Like, yeah, he's he's living. He's, he's cringe embodied. Oh, God, like that makes my skin crawl because I know those people. We all know those people, right? Like, it's just like, oh, listen, I'm woke. Like, it's fine. Like, you know, one of the reasons that Chappelle himself had a mental breakdown is like when he realized that like the people that were laughing at his at his sketches were like laughing at the fact like we're not in on the on the <laughs> joke, you know, it makes me think of a time I was uh, at a at a thing and I was talking about um, I was at a, a business thing and I was talking about, you know, Korean cinema and how I was excited that. Um, that people have started seeing uh, like 
K-dramas and stuff, and I'm hoping that they'll watch more Korean movies. And one guy's like, oh, yeah, like, I loved Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. No! And... <laughs> and I'm not going to say who it is, um, but this is a this is a person who's pretty senior uh, in an organization, and I cannot humiliate him in public like this. Oh! So, like, what you do is you go, oh, haha, I love that movie too, and then you move on, right? Quick. You just try to move on as fast as possible, and you don't want to be like, that's not from Korea. Like, you don't want to. It's true. I do love it too. So I wasn't lying. I just, I could not get into the rest of it uh, at that moment. Right. And what's, and the thing is that, you know, we talk about costs. I talk a lot about like how the cost of these things uh, are often invisible to the people who are imposing them on others. Like he imposed a cost on everyone there where like the conversation then just sort of petered out and died because that's yep. what happens. Cause he wants to continue with this. And if this conversation continues, he's going to step on 9,000 landmines <laughs> and we're all going to have to pretend <laughs> like there aren't body parts flying everywhere. Right. And it's just not fucking worth it. And it's time for me to get another drink. I need a, a, a refill of hors d'oeuvres. Like <sighs> I need to wash my cat. I don't know. Like I left the stove on at home. Just like, we just all wanted out of that situation. And he's just like, yeah, I did a good thing. And like wanders off like, yeah, me. And that's a cost, right? <laughs> that all those people then have to bear for that person. That's invisible to that person. And like, the problem is, is that if you bring this up to like the, uh, uh, the board, the problem is that there are a bunch of those people there who are like making the hiring decision to hire you or another consultant. And they're just like, this guy makes me feel bad about myself because I've done yep. that. Right. Yeah. It, it, it turns into, oh, well, everyone's so PC, yeah. right? Like when, when you're, when like you try to explain like that microaggressions are aggressions, right? Like it might seem like a little tiny thing if someone says don't Jew me down and you're like no 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 we can't say that anymore and they're like oh come on you know and it's like no that's actually where discrimination lives like it Mm -hmm. lives in the things that we dismiss over and over again and that's how it stays alive yeah like these yeah these things don't emerge into children's minds or into other people's (laughs) minds or into cultures randomly out of the either this is not spontaneous generation to yeah. uh use the uh debunked uh, evolutionary <laughs> idea of spontaneous generation no if you don't if you leave a rope out overnight it doesn't spontaneously turn into a snake amazing yeah um so th- this is where we kind of end the impasse and i don't have a solution for this other than trying to speak the truth uh give good solutions be as concrete as possible where we constantly run into what the people who control the purse strings and the power, what they are willing to do, and then what actually needs to be done. Right. I do not think that that continuing to spend time, money, effort, and focus on things we know are insufficient, I do not think that is the right path. I would well, rather <clears throat> that less DEI shit happened if more of it were truly substantive. Yep. I was going to say, this is, you know, not to sound like a Bernie bro, but this does once again, make the case for like unionizing. Um, and especially if like, you know, if you want this stuff to stick, right? Like this is exactly what collective bargaining is for, right? Like, so, you know, a lot of the stuff I, I, 
made the joke a few times, like it just needs to end up being like everybody who believes in this and really wants DEI, like actual like equity should just sort of stick together and then, you know, uh, basically unionize, right? Like the DEI union. And that would be how you demand change, even though like that's not feasible for most places. But like, you know, I don't really have a solution either. I, unfortunately, this is like, it just strikes me as one of those things that boils down to like waiting for boomers to die in a lot of scenarios. Like, um, I mean, that's not, that's not really a solution, but. No, I think, uh, I think that, I think that though, the problem is that then the people who rise to power will have risen to power through these structures of power. Correct. And so even if they appear slightly more diverse on the surface, in terms of their willingness to actually grapple with the structures that create these problems, they're going to be on, they're going to be simply reproducing the problems of the past. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to be straightforward with that. And like they quoted in the article that this one company offers like, you know, those terrible training video courses online. They have to take for like diversity stuff. They yes. charge 50 to 150 per employee to provide right. those annually. And I can tell you that those are, that's entirely wasted money. It I know. does nothing. It yeah. does less than nothing that, again, this is where I'm like, you should take that even if you can't hit every employee, right? Yeah. Even if you can't hit every employee, it'd be better that you spent that money on having real in-person substantive stuff every, once every five years, Yep. right? Then useless bullshit every year. I mean, especially when like, you, like we we talk about like the number of people you're never going to convert right like you, you know there are what you're what you are the goal here is to get people to do internal work that for some people will never happen also because it's bound up in a whole bunch of other internal work that they're also would rather die than do uh but you know if what you can get out of that is to get those people on board enough so that like they are not actively <laughs> harming their employees or like you know it and the backstop needs to be being willing to fire people like hiring a new person does like everybody knows like there's around an average of ten thousand dollar loss uh per employee that for, mm-hmm. for a new hire i am saying that there is no halfway point if you are not willing to do to take those losses to get rid of people to like get rid of people who have deep long books long relationships with people like then you're not we just that's not it then you're not doing it then you can't say that you're doing it yeah exactly like if you don't want to commit to it that's fine but don't don't do the sham shit like i'm sorry and i'm gonna say for all the other professionals out there who work in this space you shouldn't be offering the sham shit either I, i i'm gonna be honest that like i will not take business that asks me to do something i know is a waste of time and money. Yep. Like I have a product and I have an approach. And if you're interested in, in individual and organization, you can contact me and like, you can walk through it and I've, but it will make asks. You will have to do substantive things. It you will, will have will to make cause, real changes. I was going to say it will cause discomfort, yes. right? It will, it will, by its nature, demand the interruption of a routine that you might have become very, very dependent on. And the thing is that part of my job is to figure out who's feeling that discomfort and talk with them about it, right? right? That like, 
that judge who was who who at first was uncomfortable, who had been uncomfortable before, I spent extra time chatting with him, like having drinks with him after class, like I got him an extra ice cream sandwich at a break one time just to check in. Right. And it wasn't the purpose wasn't, oh, I'm trying to cater to like his snowflake needs. What I was trying to do was that I recognized there was an opportunity and these sort of outreaches could get somewhere. I'm going to be honest, there were well, there was another person in this one who was just not interested. Yeah. And I didn't spend the time and the energy on it. There you go. Like that just wasn't an opportunity for change. They weren't yeah. they weren't interested in they did not share the same goal, so they're not going to make sacrifices to get there. And and that's fine. I'm just not going to plunge after a person who's not interested. Yeah. Um and I'm just going to give another recommendation to companies is like this stuff. If you make it mandatory, I'm going to be honest. It's going to backfire. Yes. I know that. I mean, this is, this is not necessarily for upper management for upper management. It should be managed. It should be mandatory, but for your average employee, it should not be mandatory because I'm going to be honest, like their, their personal biases are probably not going to cause structural problems. It's the people who are actual decision makers. Um, And if you notice, and this is true across the board in virtually every industry, that the higher you go up, the more decision-making power you get, the whiter and more male it becomes. If you're noticing that pattern at your company, then you need to look at your entire promotion strategy. How is, why is it playing out this way? Um, And then once you figure that out, actually make the changes. This is something I always find interesting. There come, there there are sectors that constantly say like, oh man, you know, uh, law firm, uh, big law firms, you go up and like, by the time you're a partner level, like 60% of the minorities, 70% of the minorities and women are gone. It's like, and they're like, oh, that's too bad. And then they continue on their merry way. It's like hurt the dirt. I did the work. I did the work, you know, listening to your fucking, um, you know, Oprah book club bestseller. Yeah. Like you gotta actually do the thing, and the, I, I'm sick of I'm sick of trying to convince, trying to pretend otherwise. The um the restaurant equipment company that I worked at um always sort of pondered aloud why no women were tough enough to hang with it, right? And uh, then you know, so you're required. It, it was a, it was a job that was more than able to be done from home and had been that way for a decade. Right. Yeah. And, uh, they required you to be in office for the first six months. And it was required that you, ideally you should have really be there from 7am to 7pm. Mm-hmm. Like it's fine if all you can do is 9am to 6pm. Um, and then they would just sort of wonder why like moms weren't, succeeding at that and they by the way they would determine it was completely subjective what allowed you to work from home like the Mm -hmm. the like there was an old white man who determined if you were ready to work from home right Mm -hmm. and it was just so weird that like sometimes like these moms with young kids just like be really distracted at work and like would ask like go home at five to like be with their baby and then they would get put on pips for it, right? And mm-hmm. like they just couldn't figure out why there weren't more women succeeding as salespeople in this environment. <laughs> I that's a really good point. Or like even things like, you know, when we really want more people with physical disabilities, like, but all of our deals are made on, uh, on the golf course. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Well, and so I was talking to a friend of mine about like my my business uh 
could very easily be made to be like a wheelchair accessible. Um, and all I have to do is install like five pulleys and like pulleys on a track is like, mm -hmm. you know, you just need to be able to, uh, work with the honey off the ground, right? A certain height off the ground and lift it from somewhere we could store it. And I could, you know, change the shelf that I store it on to the lower one mm -hmm. than the higher one or whatever. Uh, and my friend was like, wow, that's like really big of you. And I was like, it would cost me like $60. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, and it would make it easier for me at some point, my shoulders are going to give out too. Right. Yep. It's just like, everyone imagines that, that, making room for a you know disabled person or a black person or whatever it like it might require two sentence changes on your indeed post right mm -hmm. it might require sixty dollars worth of pulleys you know and uh, so i'm going to give one last one here for handicap accessibility and this is a useful metaphor right so uh, i was with a partner she was in a wheelchair at the time and we are uh she was at a conference in chicago and we were staying at this very nice hotel downtown and there's a steakhouse in the hotel that claimed to be handicap accessible. So after things, we decided to go to the steakhouse one night, one night for a nice dinner. And it's several steps down. And they have a wheelchair um, uh, uh, lift. Except that it's off. So you need a key to turn it on. So I go to the maitre d'. I'm like, hey, my partner, we need this turned on. He's like, oh, and then he's like searching around. It's like, oh, we don't know where the key is. We don't know. And they're like, hold on, we'll find someone. And like, we're like at that point, we're just like, never mind. Like, we don't yeah. want this to be a big thing. This is humiliating. Yep. Right. Like, you theoretically have it here, but it's it's not usable. And yep. we're not gonna wait around for you guys to get your thumbs out of your asses. In as we're just standing there like a bunch of assholes while a bunch of rich people judge us, right, yep. for making a scene. We're yep. just gonna leave. Right. Yeah. And I want and sometimes so anybody who runs a business or in anything, I want you to think about whether or not your initiatives are essentially that. Yeah. And that theoretically someone could ask the manager and jump through 37 hoops to get it done. But also think about that, how that would make you feel. I was just going to say, if, if your solution requires like going up the chain, you know, call the locksmith style at the end of, uh, you know, uh, Robin Hood men in tights or whatever, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, you know, it's like b making like when you set it up such that the accommodation is like a big fucking deal and it's like, great, you know, this doesn't make me feel any better or any more included, right? Like now everybody's just like. God, this is going to take forever because of this asshole. And you're like, I just, you should have this ready for me. Like yeah. that's uh, <clears throat> uh disabled talk is also like one of my favorite follows just because you don't think about these things until you are constantly looking at the world through the eyes of people who have mobility issues, right? Like we had a farmer's market that at the last minute got moved to this private event space that was up a full goddamn flight of stairs, no elevator, no lift, no ramp, nothing. And I was like, well, this is fine, I guess, for all of us, because like, luckily, none of us have, you know, use a mobility aid of any kind. But like, I wouldn't have thought of that if not for mo mobility talk, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but, you know, you just have somebody in the marginalized position, look at your shit mm -hmm. and listen. That's really all it takes. Again, don't if you don't want to hire a consultant firm, whatever, just like. Have someone come to your restaurant who uses a wheelchair who's like, that sucks, that sucks, that sucks, that sucks, you know? It, that's a great way to put it. And that, 
ideally would be what DEI B consultants are doing, right? Yeah. You are give, telling the hard truths and you are giving the hard work. Yeah. You are not there to pump up the jam. <laughs> I'm just going to make that very, very clear. So, And please, please don't start off your fucking shit with, hey, we've all been super racist. It's human. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, the whole point of this is that it's not like we all learned it. God damn it. The whole point. Yeah. And I start mine with an exercise uh, about family. And... But all I'm talking about there, note that I'm not reinforcing stereotypes, right, by bringing them up. I'm having them think about something not loaded, right? Um, and what the reason I'm doing it is not to, like, make people feel better. It's to get them start thinking about the idea of embodiment. Yes. It's to get them to, that their ideas about abstract things like justice or equality or fairness are all shaped by their physical experiences of the world. And from there, then we go into some more scientific cognitive linguistic stuff and how to address that. And there are specific exercises that they then generate themselves. I never tell them what stereotypes, what issues, right? Instead, they generate all those things themselves. They do it individually and in groups. And then if they feel comfortable, they, then they can share. And then we can work through, right, those issues together as a group. But I'm never spoon feeding them stereotypes so they can be like, oh man, like everyone's a little bit racist. I saw Avenue Q. Um, <laughs> right? So <laughs> because you know what that does to a lot of people in there? Like, they're looking at the guy over, like, if you're a black guy and you realize that, like, your boss, you know, locks the door when you, every time you walk by, you're just like, I didn't, that doesn't make you feel good or safe or included, you know? Yeah. And especially when the person up there is, like, almost tacitly giving permission. Yeah, I would right? say quite verbally giving permission, yeah. in fact. And I'm never giving permission. What I'm saying is these are issues with human cognition. Yeah. And they are things that we need to work through together. And people often start with very non-loaded issues. I actually never use the word race or, 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 or sex or any of those things in the first couple lessons, because the goal is to recognize these patterns. And then when they have this sort of emotional rapport with each other, but note that this takes hours and hours of time yes. together in a space. If you take an hour for a keynote address, you haven't done shit. You <laughs> literally just pulled up to the starting line and now you're going home high-fiving and getting a yeah. loaded like uh, uh, chicken nachos to celebrate. I was going to say, like, the most, the most progress I've ever made with anybody is talking to my mom about this over days and days and days in 2020 during the the George Floyd and trying to explain what white supremacy and white privilege are right like mm -hmm. once because once you see right like once you see like the kind of scaffolding of that around uh, society a lot of that stuff becomes more obvious and uh the only successful way to do that was to talk about like my mom was really all about like being grateful and like you know you're grateful that x y and z happened and I was like you know how like you're grateful that like you know, you were able to go to Ball State and you were so grateful for that. Like, you know, in the same way that like, you know, what if uh, one of your parents had gotten sick or lost their job and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden you couldn't pay for it? And, you know, that would probably change your, you know, that's just one example of a privilege of something that happened to work out for you. Right. Yeah. Like, and you start to tell, uh, 
you tell that story in a way that says like you're not taking something away from somebody else or like you know you didn't i a lot of these people get really upset by the idea that they were given something they don't deserve when it's like no you still worked really hard right like you still went to nursing school you yeah. still did all the things but like you know it's just like a couple more doors were unlocked yeah. you know yeah. You didn't unlock them. You didn't kick them down. They were just unlocked when you got there. Yeah, exactly. And so this is to all of our listeners out there, whoever you are on this, like, obviously, you know, I have been very critical. um, (laughs) And the reason I'm critical is not because I'm trying to make anybody feel bad here. It's simply because I want us to do things that work and not do things that don't work. Yep. Um, and if you're interested, like, please contact me. Um, and, uh, you can, you can leave messages, uh, at perp stew. You can tweet at us. Um, you can get in contact with the show through our, through our page that gets, uh, that's linked. Um, and, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well, that if you have an experience or you have something that you want to share, let us know. This is a huge topic that I'm sure we'll do follow-ups on in the future. So please let us know your experiences and your thoughts on this topic. If uh, I could call out, if yeah. I could call out something, I would love to hear DEI fails. Like I would love to specifically yeah. hear like, "Ooh, so close!" Like swing and a miss. We love the effort, fucked it all up. You yeah. know, you get an E for effort. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sarah, where can everybody find you? Uh, so you can find me and my products at metalhoney.com. I also uh, have these little cute little candy glosses that are going up tonight on dollypop.com or do- sorry, dollypopgloss.com. Uh, and that's it. You can do that. Where can they find you, Matt? Yeah. So again, contact us, uh, at the show at perp stew on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on RSS where we're hosted all of the major, um, uh, all of the podcasting sites. Um, and, uh, please, uh, like share rate review, all that stuff. The more people, the more interaction there is with everything, the better it is. More people get it out there. It makes it easier for us, uh, to make these fantastic things. Uh, But that's going to do it for us this week. Um, This has been The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.